It's your desire today. It hit me when it says, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want the Holy Spirit to have so full of me that he has complete control to where I don't have any control whatsoever, but that he has the control and the latitude to do what he wants to do. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your presence that we feel in this house. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, for the fire, Lord God, that, that falls down from heaven. And God, today I pray that, Lord, that where the fire may have dwindled in some of the souls of your people. God, I pray that it be rekindled today, that, Lord, the coals of the fire would be stoked, and that, God, you would set them on fire, Lord, and let them burn, Lord. Let us burn before this entire world, Lord. Let them see us burn for you, Jesus. Lord, to where we have no control whatsoever, but that, Lord, you have complete control of our hearts and our lives, Father. Lord, we just thank you so much, God, for what you're doing in this season. We thank you, Lord, for the doors that you've opened. Lord, for what you're doing now. But, God, even so, what you're going to do. Because, Lord, your words that you will do great things. But, God, let us never forget that right now you're doing great things. Let us not forget that right now you're doing tremendous and wonderful things. But, God, let, it, let, us, let that motivate us to see the great and mighty things that you're going to do. To desire more of you because, Lord, you've got so much more. You've got so much more for all of us, Lord. And I pray, God, that that desire burns within each and every one of our hearts, Lord. And that truly, Lord, from our heart we would say, I want more. I want more, Lord. I want more. So pour it out, Lord. Pour it out, Lord, God, like a mighty rushing river. In Jesus' wonderful name, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. So thankful for His presence. Are you? This is what the world needs. This is what the church needs, right? The moving and the operating power of the Holy Spirit. We don't, we don't need fads or programs. All we need is the person of the Holy Spirit to come in. And to take complete control and let him do what only he can do. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Mark, chapter 9. The book of Mark, chapter 9. <clears throat> when seeking the Lord this week, and sometimes it's not as easy uh, when it comes to seeking the Lord as to what he would have us to minister on. Because uh, I, trust, I want you to understand, and it should be uh, the desire of everyone that stands behind a pulpit to have the mind of the Lord when they stand behind the pulpit because he knows who's going to be there. He knows who's going to be watching. And he knows the needs uh, of the people's hearts. And, uh, but just earlier on in the week, the Lord just dropped this passage of Scripture in my heart. And not only was it for me, and let me tell you something, I have to be preached to before I can ever preach to you. And let me tell you, the Lord really got a hold of me this week, uh, especially earlier in the week, and there was a lot of tears, a lot of repenting that was going on. Uh, because, again, I'm fallible. None of, us are, none of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. None of us have it all going on, and we all need working on. Amen. But I'm so thankful. Well, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says that he that has begun a good work, 
He's going to perform an amen. And he's began this good work in me. I pray he's began a good work in you. And you can trust that no matter what happens, no matter the failures, no matter the backsets, no matter what life may toss your way, you are, can rest assured that he's going to complete the work that he starts. Man starts projects day in and day out. And sometimes they finish them, sometimes they don't before they move on. But God don't start something that he don't finish. Amen. And I'm thankful for that today, that he's going to finish and complete this work that he started in man. So Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 14, and if you're there, say amen. Amen. The Bible says, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question you with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto you my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he takes him, he tears him, and he foams, and he's gnashing with his teeth, and pines away. And I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, Straightway the spirit tore him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, And oft times it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. And I want to take this portion right here from this last verse that we read and simply preach you a message that the Lord laid upon my heart entitled, Help My Unbelief. Help My Unbelief. Let's bow your heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of of your son Jesus again. And Lord, we are again thankful for the presence of the Lord that we feel in this house. Lord, we are thankful for your spirit and truly we do welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and to have your way. Lord, you are the transformation agent. Lord, you are the one who can change hearts. You are the one, Lord, that makes your word alive to our hearts. Lord, it is only through a manifestation of your spirit, Lord God, can anything take place. God, there's nothing that we can do apart from you, Lord, for you are the vine and we are the branch. And so, Lord, we're asking that today, Lord, today that your anointing would rest upon us. Lord, that you would give us a double portion of your anointing, Lord, as we preach and proclaim the word that you have placed inside of our heart. Lord, that you would anoint the hearts of those that would fall up underneath the sound of my voice in this house, Lord, and those watching by the way of internet now or those that will watch. And Lord, I pray that God, your word would just resonate within us today. Lord, I pray that for this time that we have come to hear the word of the Lord, which is nothing more important than to hear your word, we will lay aside every distraction. We will lay aside everything that's going to take place tomorrow. But this time, Lord, let us give our attention solely to you and to hear what your spirit has to say to us. Lord, will we hide behind your cross. And Lord, we ask that you be seen today and heard. In the name of Jesus, we'll ask y'all, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. We find here in this pasture, in this portion of Scripture that we just read, quite a scene 
that had just taken place. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, and we've all heard about the story of the, uh, the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration where he had just taken Peter, James, and John up there and there they witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus. And I just want to say this, that the Lord had 12 disciples, but yet he only chose <clears throat> three of them to go up for him to reveal his glory to. We just talked about the song, Lord, I want more, I want more. See, there's a whole group of Christians, there's a whole group of many believers, but there's only a select group of Christians that desire that will go even further. And then out of that group, there will be just even fewer that desires to go even further anymore. And so it's not by coincidence that Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John, who wanted to be with him, who loved him so much. He said, I'm going to take you three, and I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. Didn't take away from the other nine that were there, but he seen the heart of these three. And that should be as us. Just as they sang, I want more. Let me tell you, when you want more, when that is your desire, rest assured, he's going to show you more. He's going to reveal himself even more to you. What's left, the matter of it is, is left up into our hands. What are you going to do with him? Amen. So again, he revealed himself in a way like never before. And they witnessed his glory. And so they came off of this mountaintop experience, if you will, and they came down and they find themselves, they found themselves faced with a whole total different situation. Isn't that just like life? You're on top of the mountain where the Lord is just revealing himself and you're seeing his glory and everything's great and then you find yourself going from the mountaintop experience all the way down to the valley but let me tell you just as he revealed himself to them on the mountaintop of transfiguration little did they know he was getting ready to reveal himself way on down there in the valley let me tell you something today even in the valley God is good even in the valley he wants to reveal himself to you in a way like you've never seen him before he desires to do it. He's still doing it. So as they came down, Jesus heads over, finds himself going on. He sees what's taking place here. He sees the disciples. He sees the scribes that are all there. And there's a confrontation, if you will, going on. Because we see the story of this man that had brought his son over to him. And what it was is he wanted these disciples to cast out, to heal, to do whatever it took to deliver his son. And I can only think and imagine what this father felt like. Me as a parent, myself as a dad, your children mean everything to you. And in fact, until, you know, it, 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 it just revolutionized my walk and understanding of our relationship with the Lord as him being the father and we're the child, amen. And so I cannot understand, I, I cannot hardly fathom what this man must have been feeling as he was there with his son and his son would have been like this for years on years on years and he was like, I have no other hope, I don't know what else to do but he hears of, of what's going on with these disciples and the ministry and how the Lord had endued them with power and sent them out. And he said, well, I'm going to take him to them and surely they can fix him and so he brings them over and they began to try to cast out this demon spirit because that's really what it was they tried to see let healing come to him and here it wasn't availing nothing was taking place nothing was changing so here was the scribes and there's always going to be that group of religious folk let me tell you they're everywhere 
And whenever there is Jesus, there's always going to be a sector of Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees all around too, trying to knock down, <clears throat> trying to tear down what the Lord is doing, always trying to sow seeds of doubt, always trying to discourage you. But hold your head up high. If Jesus has commissioned us to do something, if he's in it, it's going to go forth. And it doesn't matter what one man says, it's going to prosper. Because when he conceives it and he births it, you can rest assured he's going to nurture it and that thing's going to grow. And all he needs us to do is be those willing vessels and says, I want to use you. There ain't nothing special about you. You ain't nothing but a filthy bag of trash. But I have saved you. I have washed you in my precious blood. And I want to fill you up. There's going to be some breaking that has to take place. But in that breaking, there's a making. And when you're broken as he pours into you, then it can pour out onto others. So again, these disciples were no doubt using the name of Jesus. They were trying to heal this boy in the name of Jesus. And the scribes took advantage of what was going on. And there they were taunting them. Is literally what was taking place. Because they thought that the power of Jesus was waning away. In fact, they were probably toning them. I can imagine, say, oh, you thought this power. Look what's happening. Ain't nothing changing. And here you are using the name of Jesus. You're using his name and nothing's happening. I told you he wasn't nobody. I told you there wasn't no power in his name. But can I tell you that regardless of may, whatever may happen or what doesn't happen, there is still power in the name of Jesus. I want to stand here and proclaim that and we shout that and proclaim that from behind this pulpit that there is still power in the name of Jesus. The power that we've seen resonated in him and what he did in this book that we read, that same power is manifested in the world today. All he's looking for is some people that will just dare to believe him and to believe that he still is able to do whatever it is that we need him to do. There's still power in his name to save the lost. There's still power in the name to heal the sick. There's still power in his name to set the demoniac free. There's still power in the name of Jesus to heal our bodies, to heal our hearts. There's still power in the name of Jesus to do whatever it is that you need. You don't have to come up with some big long prayer. You don't have to use ten-syllable words. You don't have to be a preacher standing behind the pulpit to use the name of Jesus. All you've got to do is say Jesus, and you've got the same authority. You've got the same power. You've got the same access to him as anybody that will stand up there. All you've got to do is use that name and watch his power manifest in your life time that we start using and proclaiming the name of Jesus. We're facing problems and we let the devil beat us up every single day. But it's time that we start taking an authority over these demon spirits. It's time that we start taking authority over the powers of hell that is fighting against us and say, devil, in the name of Jesus, you've got to go. And let me tell you, he will respond to that name because he said he spoiled principalities and powers of darkness. He made an open show of them on the cross 2,000 years ago. He sent every demon in hell packing and running. So if you want to see them run, use the name of Jesus. He didn't say use the name of Buddha. There's no power in Allah, but there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, 
the commander-in-chief, if you will, as I like to call him, comes over and says to the scribes, what's the deal? What's the problem? What's going on over here? And we find a desperate father that appears on the scene. And here he says, Master, I have brought to you my son. Let me tell you, the scribes couldn't even open up their mouth because they were smart enough not to even speak when Jesus came upon the scene. He asked them what was going on. And this desperate father comes up on the scene and says, Master, I have brought to you my son who has a dumb spirit and he is being torn apart, foaming at the mouth, gnashing with teeth. Do you see the description of what was going on with his son? The truth of it is, this boy wasn't just sick, he was demon-possessed. Now, I know in today's time that we don't like to think of people being demon-possessed, but can I tell you, it's just as real today as it was 2,000 years ago, and probably even more so now today than ever before. You've got countries in this world that are literally ruled by powers of darkness, by demon spirits, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not going forth. They're intelligent. Some of these countries has got the brightest minds that you would ever see, but yet they're so poor and no prosperity there because they don't believe in Jesus. But that's why America has always been so great, because we still believe in God we trust. It's all about Jesus. That's who we serve. That's who we recognize. So this child was, was demon-possessed. And the world today don't want to classify it as what it is. And don't get me wrong, every person that's a sinner is not demon-possessed. And it's not for us to worry about. But let me tell you, he can still set the demoniac free today. Amen? Psychology would say, well, they need truth. Psychology in the world says they just need a little bit of treatment and they'll get better. No, what they don't need, they don't need treatment. What they need is deliverance. That's what they need. And there ain't but one person that can set the demoniac free. And his name is Jesus. So this man had originally went, this father had went to man to receive the help that he needed. And let me tell you, when you go to man to receive what you need, you're going to find, just as this man did, no help. Because man can't fix your problem. I can't fix your problem. Nobody else can fix your problem. But there's one who has already fixed the problem. And his name is Jesus. And he took care of it on Calvary's cross. So why are we running to man? Why are we running to leaders? Why are we running to people that's got positional titles? Run to Jesus. Because only he can fix it. 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You will never find another person in this life, on down to whoever you want, that will allow, that would want you to cast all of your cares upon you. Because there's a certain part of each and every single one of us that we feel like we might be getting on people's nerves when we start talking to them about our trouble. There's a certain part of us that we feel like we've got to hold back and because we want to wallow in self-pity because we got a whole lot of things going on. But Jesus here has said, tell, tells us to cast all of our cares upon him. All of them. Let me tell you, you he ain't going to get tired of you coming to him and casting your cares upon him. 
He wants you to do that. That's the father. That's the love of a father. Just as a parent does to a child. I can pick up my phone and I can call my mom. And she knows by the tone of my voice that something's wrong. And I know I can run to her. But there's still a part of me that says I don't want to trouble her with all of my problems. See, it exists and lies in all of us because well, that's just the very nature. But he said cast all of them upon me. Why? Because he cares for you. And 24 hours, seven days a week, you could call upon him, and you're a guaranteed answer for him. See, his hand's not too short that it can't save, nor is his ear too heavy that it cannot hear. Of all of the people in this world, and of the multitude of Christians that exist, but yet when you talk to him, it's like you've got his undivided attention. You've got the attention of God the creator, the one who created the heavens and the earth. So God forbid that we should run to anyone else with our problems and not cast them upon him. See, he says, take upon my yoke is easy and my burdens light. Throw them on me. Throw them on me and walk free in what I've done for you. Amen. So this man ran to Jesus and he tells him his issue, his dilemma. And upon hearing what took place, Upon hearing this man's cry, then Jesus turns around and he says, O faithless generation, with sorrow and frustration. He wasn't speaking to the scribes. He was speaking to his disciples. He was speaking to the ones that were following him, that was, went after him, that were serving him. And he understand he, he was speaking to them. But, and if you go back a few chapters that you will see that he had already equipped them with what they needed before sending them out. Listen, Jesus will always give you what you need to do the work that he's called you to do. We don't have to try to find it. He will give you the measure of grace that you need to perform the task that he has called you to do. Mark 3, 14 and 15 says, and he ordained 12. This is just a couple chapters back. He ordained these 12. These nine were a part of these 12. That they should be with him. And that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Let me tell you, right here in this scripture, you will see, go back one. The, very first, the secret to all power is what verse 14 says, that they should be with him. That's where the power lies, by being with Jesus. The power is not in you thinking we're going through and not having any kind of relationship with the Lord and think, well, I'm going to have all of this power. The power flows through him. But as I said before, we got to find ourselves sitting at the feet of Jesus so that power can flow down, so he can pour out. The last time I checked, when you pour something, whatever's in that contents is going to come out. It's going to flow down. And that's where we, we need to be as Mary and, and ourselves positioned at his feet. But here we see that he sent them forth to preach, which is always the most important thing. The preaching of God's word takes precedence over anything else. Because it's only through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ will man be convicted and man be given an opportunity to be saved. Listen, we believe in the healing power of Jesus. We still believe he does miracles and sets the demoniac free. But let me tell you, you can go to Jesus sick. You can go to heaven sick, but you'll not go to heaven without being made whole. We've got to be saved. So he gives he give them power already. 
And it wasn't the fact that they didn't possess the power. So here they had the power. So what in the world was going on? Why in the world did he look at them and call them a faithless generation when he had just endued them with this power to lay hands, to heal the sick, to see the demoniac set free? So what in the world was going on? But see, too many have thought through the years that if they could just lay their hands upon an individual, that person will be healed. That person will be set free. If I could just touch them. I remember sitting in a church service, and this has been several years ago in my adulthood, and I remember seeing this one young female come to the altar, hair all done up real nice and pretty, and her little hand raised. But by the time they got done wrangling and mangling, her, her hair was fell all apart. And the problem was that everybody thought they had to just get to her. And there was about 25 different sets of hands that wanted to lay hands on her because they thought, surely I can do it. See, that's the problem of the church today. We think we possess the power, and we don't want to deny ourselves. Listen, the power's not in you. The power's not in me within ourselves. The power's in the Holy Spirit, the one who uses us, and we're nothing more but a conduit for him to flow through. He will, we extend our hands, but it, we don't have healing power in us. The healing power's in the crisis within us, and sometimes he will use us to lay our hands, and healing virtue power will flow through. So this kind of power he had given to the disciples and he's still giving that same kind of power today to his followers of, of him, amen? So again, most people read this and they think, well, if they would have just had a little bit more faith, if these disciples would have just had a little bit more faith, then this wouldn't have happened. But can I tell you today that the amount of faith or the lack thereof is not the problem. That's not the problem. I hear this so many times. Well, if they'll just have a little bit more faith. I asked a question one time to an individual. Well, wonder why we don't see these healings anymore. Well, people ain't got no faith. That's not the case. He's already given you the measure of faith to even believe him and to receive salvation. And the last time I checked, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but if you'll just have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. The smallest seed that is here, he just said not even the whole seed, but just a grain of it, you can see things take place. See, the problem is not the amount of faith or the lack of faith that we have. The problem is where we've got our faith in. Because we put our faith in ourselves, we think that we've got it because we've been serving the Lord, because we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, because we preach, we think we can do it. And all in the while, the Lord's not going to do anything because you're not denying yourself and letting him do it. And perhaps this is what happened with the disciples. Maybe they are walking along like that. And it's easy to happen. Quit praying maybe a little bit. Maybe they wasn't denying themselves and realizing where their power was coming from. Where their help was truly coming from. And here they were trying to lay their hands on this. And then they found nothing but defeat. When the Lord had already given them the power to be able to do it. Many of those will also say, uh, that may be sick. Well, if you had more faith, you, you wouldn't have gotten sick. Or if you had more faith, you could get this car. Or if you had more faith, you could have this. And this is what we call the word of faith doctrine. But can I tell you, the word of faith doctrine is false doctrine. And you don't need to listen to it or anybody that is promoting it and teaching it. And basically what it says is that you can confess scripture and then activate them into existence. So basically, name it and claim it. Listen, we're not God, 
I can't speak scripture and then activate on myself. He's the only one that is the creator. He's the one who moves. It isn't about how much faith you have. And don't believe the lies that you see on TV of those that are saying that if you have more faith, you'll pull up in a Rolls Royce just like me. Don't believe that. It is a lie straight from the pit of hell, and it's contrary to the word and the teaching of our Lord and Savior. Matthew 17, 19 through 20 says, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? This is Matthew recounting the same scenario. And the disciples said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus told them, Here's your answer. You want to know why? Because of your unbelief. Disciples had unbelief. I thought they were followers of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but they still had unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Again, he said, have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. And the mustard seed, though it is the smallest seed, it produces the largest of all herbs here in this world. It's funny how the Lord used that when he could have called out the seed of anything else but he said if you'll have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed I don't need a whole lot of faith out of you because you're a fallen man anyway if you could just give me a grain of faith and place it in me place it in me place it in me and what I have done then you can see this mountain before you be removed amen so this shoots down that you've got to have more faith and that no matter how much or even how little faith one might have, if faith is not solely anchored in Christ and his finished work, then rest assured nothing is going to happen. See, it's not the amount of faith that dictates whether something is accomplished, but rather the object of it. And let's just be honest that what he did with these disciples and what he spoke to them, he could look at you and I and say the same thing today. How many times that Jesus said this with frustration and also with sorrow because he knew in just a little bit of time he was getting ready to go to Calvary's cross, pay the debt of sin, and he was no longer going to be with him. And he said, I've been with y'all already two years. I've taught you. I've taught you. I've performed miracles. I've even endued you with power. And here you are. You've not grown any whatsoever. Can I tell you, he's looked at me. Wayne, how many times do I have to move for you before you'll start believing me? for what it is you're believing me for. How many things do I have to do? How many prayers do I have to answer? Do you not remember when I did this? Do you not remember this door that I opened? Do you not remember all of this? So why in the world are you fretting now? Why is there unbelief in your heart now? So Jesus says, bring him to me, amen. Them four words, bring him to me. Bring your problem to me. Bring him to me. And in essence, he's saying, bring him to me and I will do what you can. You see, this is what we have to understand. We can't. He can. And so because he can, all you've got to do is say help. Lord, I can't. But you can. So help me. Because when you say you can't, you're denying yourself. When you say you can and you realize it's because of what he did at Calvary that he can move on your behalf. And when you realize that and you deny yourself, when you holler out for help, the Holy Spirit then will come in and will bring to you the help that you need. So you see that he that, that, he, that he was talking about in the scripture 
in verse 20. Put verse 20 back up, and it says that they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straight away the spirit. You see, the he that he was talking about was this evil spirit. The demon spirit was being brought face to face with Jesus. And he gave it all, his all, one last time because he knew, this demon spirit knew that his time was just about up. Why do you think the scripture says that he tore him one last time? I know my time is just about up. I've come face to face with Jesus Christ. I'm getting ready to have to vacate this body because of the power of Jesus Christ. You see, we've got a problem, and when we bring it to him, and we take this problem to the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to what he's done, let me tell you, that power of darkness, that bondage, whatever it is that's ailing you, is getting ready to have to go in the name of Jesus. That's why we're to bring it to him. The, the enemy doesn't want you to bring it to him because he knows as long as you don't look to Christ and what he's done and believe that he's already handled it, then the enemy's going to continue to wreak havoc again and again and again and again. But when you bring it to Jesus, when you lay it down at the foot of the cross where it was handled, it's defeated and it's getting ready to go in the name of Jesus. You see, the evil demoniac spirit was scared to death because the mighty son of the living God had come upon the scene and the devil was going to try and give him one last effort to kill this child. Let me tell you something, because you possess the power, because you've got Jesus Christ living inside of you, let me tell you something, when you come upon the scene of a trouble, the enemy should be scared of you. The enemy should be scared to death of you and I. Why? Because we possess Jesus Christ, the only one that they respond to. When there's a problem going on, when we come upon the scene, that old enemy should say, oh my God, here he is. There's another one. There's another follower of Jesus Christ. Because again, he sees the power that is within inside of us. We should see demon spirits fleeing from us. Right. Things should change when you come into a room. Amen. You go into a room of darkness, you go around people, and they don't know Jesus Christ, but yet you, a possessor of the light with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, comes into the room. Let me tell you, there's some cages that's getting ready to get rattled. There's some cages that's getting ready to get shaken because, see, light has entered into darkness. So this child is lying before Jesus, writhing around, and then he looks at the man. Jesus sees what's going on. He sees the picture. He sees that it's demon possession, and he turns right around, and he asks his dad, how long has this been going on? How long has this been going on? Now, I don't know about you, but if that was me, this is my child. This is the problem that's going on. Jesus sees it, but then Jesus turns and says, well, how long has this been going on? Calm? Cool? Collective Jesus ain't worried about a thing. And if that was me, I'd be like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? What does it matter how long it's been going on? Jesus, do you not see what's going on? How many times are we like that with him? Jesus, do you not see what's wrong? Do you not see the problem? That I, let me tell you, he's seen it before you ever happened to you. It doesn't catch him off guard. But we think many times in our walk with the Lord that what has come to us, these storms that we face, these trials that we face, these problems that we have, because it catches us off guard, we think for sure it must have caught him off guard. No, it didn't. In fact, he's seen it. And he was trying to prepare you to be able to endure what was getting ready to happen to you. And saying, my grace is sufficient. 
My grace is sufficient. Nothing else is sufficient enough to take you through the valley. Nothing else is sufficient enough to take you through the storms of life. Nothing else will take you through but the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I could go around this room and we could sit here and tell and speak of stories and speak of things that have happened to us. And let me tell you, there are some things that some of us have endured as enough to kill a man. But yet here we are still standing today. Here we are still standing today. You know why? Because of his grace. It was his grace that took you through. It was his grace that brought you through the fire. It was his grace that caused the rivers not to pass over you. It was because of him. Because what should have happened was you died. But Jesus stepped up on the scene and he took care of you. Hallelujah. So he then he looks at him. He looks at Jesus. He said, well, it's of a child. But Lord, if you could do just anything. If there's anything you can do, Jesus, just have compassion upon us. And here it is. This is what Jesus was waiting on. This is why he asked him the question, how long it's been going on? Because, see, there was something going on inside of his dad that he wanted to take care of as well. And then Jesus took his time because, again, this issue that was going on, and he wanted to draw it out of this man. And so he was lingering a little bit because he wanted this man to say, hey, there's something going on inside of you. See, a lot of times the reason why we're in the middle of storms and the reason why we're in trials, and we automatically want deliverance from it, but Jesus is trying to teach you something. Jesus is trying to show you something. Jesus is trying to reveal to you really what you are and what really lies within your heart. Well, I'm saved. That's right. But we're fallible people. And we've got stuff that enters in our heart. There's things that are there within our heart that we don't even realize. But the Lord will allow these things to happen so that he can bring it to surface so that you can see and can deal with that as well. Jesus says, no. No, sir, you got it all wrong. He just looked at Jesus. If you could just do anything, if you can. He said, no, you've got it on wrong. You see, you've got the if in the wrong place. See, there isn't an issue as to whether or not I can or I have the power, but the if is on you. So you put the if on me, the one who possesses all power. You put the if on me, the one who bled and died, who conquered everything. You put the if on me, who was and is and always shall be. You put the if on the first and the last, but you got the if in the wrong place, buddy. The if is on you. And he says, if you can just believe, anything is possible. We sometimes sit around and we wonder, can God fix my situation? Can God do what I need him to do? Because this thing is so big, it's more than I can even begin to handle. I don't see no way out of it. Can God really do it? Because I've cried, I've cried, I've shed bitter tears, and I just don't know if he can do this anymore. If he can do it. See, that's doubt. That's unbelief. And we always question him, and not so much his ability, but rather will he. See, we don't question the fact that God can't, because we'll sit back and we'll say, I know God can heal the sick. I know God can raise the dead. I know God can deliver. I know God can save. We use that word can, 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 can. But there's a big difference when we start saying, I know God will. Let me say that again. We'll say, I know God can heal. I know God can fix my situation. I know he can but we don't say, I know he will. 
And let me tell you, when you start saying he will, my God, that's faith rising up within you. And when you say he will do it, he will do it. My God, that's what makes the devil mad because it rattles his cages. Why? Because it's faith rising up with inside of you, believing that he's going to handle this problem. Well, ain't nothing changed. I don't care. I praise him on credit. I praise him already in advance because what I've asked him to do, he said, if you ask it in my name, I will do it. It don't get no simpler than that, church. If anything, you ask in my name, the name of Jesus, and when you ask it in that name, you're believing because of what he did on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago gives him the ability and the latitude to move upon your behalf. And when you claim that, he said, I will do it. When the man came to him full of leprosy, he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And what did he tell the leprous man? I will be thou clean. Because the leprous man didn't say, if you can, if you will, because he knew he he possessed the power. You see, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of just hearing and believing that God can do what we need him to do. But I want to be a part of a body of believers that believe that he will. Jesus didn't send this man away. This man erred. His faith was weakening. Because this man looked at him and said, God, if you can do anything. And he said, no, Jesus, if you can do anything. He says, no, if you can just believe. Listen, he didn't kick him to the curb and say, oh, sorry, you're out of luck today. Come back to me tomorrow. He didn't condemn this man because his faith was weak. He didn't look at him and say, oh, you've messed up. I'm done. Go get you some more faith. And when you gain something, come on back to me and I'll perform. No, Jesus didn't do that. See, Jesus is a God of compassion, of love, and of mercy. And can I remind you today that he knows our fallen nature. He knows that we're just but from the dust. He knows that we've got problems. He knows that we've got issues. And can I say that our biggest issue in life is probably whether or not we will believe that he handles the problem. That's our biggest problem today is the fact of whether or not do we believe that he will take care and that he will do what he said that he will do. You see, all he requires out of us is to simply believe in him, to believe in what he has done and that it has already been purchased. You need to get a hold of that today. You need to believe that it's already been done. You're not serving a God that says, okay, I'm going to try this task and I hope that I can. You're serving one who's already done it. My God, the chances are good. The odds aren't against you. He's already done it. You don't have no 50-50 shot with Jesus. He's already done it. Do we get that today? He's already done it. So why not bring it to him? Why do we hold on to it ourselves? Why do we doubt? Why do we not believe? You see, this man had been faced with the powerless disciples, and the man's faith was severely weakened. You see, many times we'll start out believing, especially when it comes to a promise that the Lord has made us, but because circumstances that arise, and because things don't go quite the way that we thought that we should, should, our faith weakens, and we begin to start believing the Lord won't do what he said he would do. And I know that I'm not talking to just myself. Circumstances arise. The Lord has made us all promises. The Lord has heard your prayer. He's told you, and you believe that He will do it. But because things don't go the way that we thought they should go, or because it doesn't happen on our timing, we think that He won't do it. And faith begins to weaken, and we start to doubt. 
But can I tell you that he's not a God that shall lie, nor the son of man that shall repent. If he said it, if he said it, he's going to do it. Amen. You see, your faith is constantly being tried. But despite what may have happened, despite what is going on, and though it didn't go the way that we thought it should do, we should rise above that. See, he was trying to get this man to rise above. Do you not remember the story of Jairus? There the woman with the issue of blood had interrupted his request. Jesus stopped. His daughter was dying. And then a messenger comes and it says, Your daughter is already dead. Don't trouble the master anymore. And before he could even get down, before he could say anything, I'm sure his mouth was wide open. Jesus turns to Jairus and says, Only believe. I know that it looks like it's went from bad to worse. But believe. Just believe. Because I need your faith to be able to work with it. Because, see, God works with us and operates with us on faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Let me tell you, when you come to him, you must believe that he is, because that's what moves God. What do you mean to believe him that he is? He is the Savior. He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He is the healer. He is the victor. He is the soon coming king. He is whatever it is that you need him to be. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Let me tell you, what he can do is far greater than what you could ever even think, the scripture says. You see, do you not think that when he opened up the Red Sea for the children of Israel that it was far greater than what they expected? Do you not think that when the Hebrew children were thrown into the fire that what they expected to take place was a lot greater? Do you not believe that when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den that what he anticipated it was even greater because he was delivered? Or what about Mary and Martha when their brother had died but yet Jesus comes on the scene and four days after being dead he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because he's able to do exceedingly far greater than what you could even think or ask. You see, the possibilities of the Lord are endless to the one that believes. And we've got to move past believing he can and start believing he will and being fully persuaded that God is able. See, that's the problem. Many in the church are not fully persuaded. I want to be fully persuaded with everything that's within me that he will do what I need him to do. So Jesus here preaches him a short message and just says, if you can believe, all things are possible. My gosh, he could say more in a few words than a man can get up and preach in a whole hour. If you can just believe. And he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. See, this is what it is. This was what was in the man that Jesus wanted to draw out. You see, the Lord knew there was unbelief in his heart the whole time. And he allowed the situation to transpire. He even went on to give him them questions and said, how long it's been going on. But he wanted to, this man to see there's something in you that needs to be healed that is far greater than this demoniac. And it's unbelief. In our minds and in our hearts, we don't believe that. We look at situation and we think, well, I'm saved, I'm good to go. And we see this person that's possessed with a demon and we think, surely that's greater. But he wanted to heal this unbelief in this man. He wants to heal the unbelief in mind and your heart. And let's just be honest here today. We all got some areas of unbelief in our heart. And it's time that we start getting real with ourselves because we prayed, we've cried, we've asked the Lord to change the situation around. Nothing has changed. He's made us promises. Nothing has happened. And our faith gets weakened because circumstances come our way. And then all of a sudden, unbelief creeps in. 
and we begin to doubt. And I'm just like this man. Lord, I believe. I believe what you told me. But help my unbelief, Lord. I'm in the middle of this trial. I'm in the middle of the storm. And I don't understand why things are going the way that they're going. I don't understand why you've allowed it. But God, I know you're trying to teach me something in the middle of all of this. Lord, help me to trust you. Is that really what it is? Trust. Help me to trust your timing. Help me to trust your will. Help me to trust that you are in control and that you know what you're doing because I'm at the order point of brokenness. I'm barely hanging on, and all I can say is, Lord, help my unbelief. But can I tell you today that when we get real with him and when we pray something like that, that is a prayer that he will always answer. Things have not turned out the way that I thought they were going to turn out. And I was reminded by a gentleman in here it, before this all happened because my expectations, my visions were a whole lot different than what has transpired. But yet a gentleman in here looked at me and said, well, even if it don't, give it time. Because things didn't happen because I thought for sure that this place was going to be filled up. The Lord opened up this door. He made a way. It's going to be filled up with overflowing people. And don't get me wrong. I preach my heart out of here if it's ten of us or if it's a hundred. But because things didn't go the way I did, I have allowed circumstances to get my eyes off of what the Lord has promised, what the Lord has showed, what the Lord said that he would do. And I began to see it. And buddy, don't you know the enemy was having a heyday? But I know I'm just the only one, right? The enemy was having fun, and there I was falling prey in this trap, thinking, oh, God, I'm done, I'm done. This ain't never going to happen, all of this. And the Lord said, Mike, where's your faith? You're going to believe the lies of the enemy more than the promises that I have made you? How many times do we fall into that? We pray for that wayward child. We pray for that wayward family member. We prayed about this situation. We fasted to fix this. And it's not where it's got bad. And then this went to worse. And we think it's all done. It's all over with. The Lord ain't even heard me. The Lord's not going to answer this. And then we just accept it that that's still the way it's going to be. And that's unbelief, my friend. When he wants to heal that and renew the faith that is within. But before he can do it, we have to be honest with ourselves and say, Lord, I believe, but help, help and heal my unbelief. Because that is how the Lord works with us. Listen, he works with us off of faith. Faith is the trigger that pulls what God has, what Jesus has done for you. That's what faith does. But let me tell you, when you register unbelief, it stops the hand of God from moving the way he wants to move. Faith is what he demands out of us. Faith in him and to believe that he will do it. Stand to your feet today. I have the singing musician come. None of our faith is quite as strong as we like to think that it is. And when we are in hard times in our walk with the Lord, it's always his will to expose the areas of unbelief in our hearts. Even as a saved, blood-bought child of God, let me tell you, we still can have unbelief in our heart that he desires to wipe it out and to replace with faith. But again, before he can do it, we've got to say, Lord, help my unbelief. I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm not the only one in this house that has prayed 
and ask God many times for things. That is believing Him to do the impossible. That's believing Him to answer those prayers that I have prayed. Some of you have cried out to the Lord for God knows how long. Have shed tears that only God knows. But can I tell you that He's heard every prayer. He's seen every tear. And I know that the circumstances hasn't went the way that you thought that they would go. But can I tell you today, believe Him. Trust Him. He wants to move on your behalf. And it might just be that before He fixes this situation, He wanted to make known to us, hey, you've got some unbelief in your heart that I want to heal. So let Him heal your unbelief today. Let Him heal your heart today. Will you say, well, Wayne, I believe. I believe my faith is in Him. When's the last time you've asked Him to fix the situation? When's the last time you asked Him to move? Maybe it's not happening. You said, I'm giving up. I'm not going to pray about it anymore. I'm done. Nothing is changing. Why don't you ask Him again today? The only thing that hinders the Lord from moving in mind in your life is nothing. Unbelief. How can He move us? How can he do what we don't understand? He's a God that desires to bless his people. He's a God that desires to move on our behalf. But we got to let him. So as they sing this song, whatever the need is in your life, and I pray that that's all of us, we got them. Bring it to the Lord and let him minister to you and respond to his calling.
Thank you. 